This is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Brandon Schultz, and today we are going to be talking about the final 53-man roster as the depth chart for the Seahawks is set going into the Week 1 game against the Bengals. And we also have some other news, some Rams news in the division. And Alistair Corp and I are going to be going through some over and unders for the Seahawks looking at the 2019 season. Alistair, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, man. I am excited to join you again. I'm excited to talk about this depth chart because you noted one of the surprising aspects of this chart at fieldgoals.com with your article that DK Metcalf listed as a week one starter opposite of Tyler Lockett. That was a little bit surprising to me. It was a little bit surprising and uh, <laughs> just exciting, honestly. You know, <laughs> we had so much hype with him. And we didn't really get to see it in the preseason and to see him in the offense with Russell Wilson. I just want to see if all the hype and all just the praise coming from Wilson especially translates. You know, if they do have that connection early on, regardless of how raw Metcalf may be, it's going to be awesome to watch. I'm also excited about this other guy opposite of Ziggy Anza on the defensive end spot, uh, Jadavian Clowney, a week one starter for the Seahawks. Yeah, that'll be... <laughs> Honestly, probably more exciting than DK Metcalf, but uh, it's going to be phenomenal. It's still kind of surreal. Um, yeah, I mean, some crow on his acquisition because I didn't think it was going to happen, but I'm happily doing it. See, I feel like we played this as Seahawks fans about as well as we could because there were so many of us, you know, whether it was on field goals, part of Seahawks Twitter, just the the pessimism of a deal uh, uh, for Jadavian Clowney actually happening. But then when it got close, I think there was just enough of us that got excited about it that helped uh, push it over the edge. And Dwayne Brown had a little something to do with that, too. Yeah, I can't remember what exactly had happened, but sometime last year, uh, I just started thinking about how I just wish Dwayne Brown was kind of a Seahawk from his rookie season or from kind of the start of the Pete Carroll era, because he's just, he's a phenomenal Seahawk. He's proven to be a great leader. He's kind of obviously one of Russell Wilson's guys in the locker room, which is awesome to see. And then, yeah, recruiting Clowney to want to come to Seattle is just another maybe a feather in his cap. He, he is awesome. I'm, I'm very happy the Seahawks acquired him kind of even beyond finally getting some protection for Wilson. He's just been an awesome, awesome part of the team. And can we take a moment to recognize the wizardry of John Schneider around this 53-man roster time? Because not only did he trade Frank Clark for a first-round pick, a second-round pick, he uses a salary, turns that around, and gets two defensive ends with Ziggy Onza, Jadavian Clowney for the price of one Frank Clark. And then not only that, he just the the movement of the players right around the roster time. We're wondering, you know, why is Geno Smith getting cut? Why are they only carrying one backup quarterback? Why is Jerron Brown getting cut when they were so high on him throughout the entire offseason? But then we find out that there's all a, a method to the madness as uh, you realize that guys like Jerron Brown and... Geno Smith are vested veterans, which makes them exempt from the waiver process, which allows them to just stick around town until they can bring guys on to the 53-man roster like Ed Dixon to go ahead and move them over to the injured reserve list. Uh, Joey Hunt, I think, also one of those guys. And then they're able to bring on, um, well, no, did Joey Hunt make the... the, the yeah, he's still on the 53. Okay, he's on the 53, but did they move him to IR to start the no, year? No, he's... He's still on the active roster. Yeah, so it was only Dixon. But yeah, it, it gives them a, a moment to finalize the Clowney deal, for one, because that's opened up one of the spots. And then the Dixon move to the IR allowed the, the other spot to open up. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I guess it would be last week or so when we were going over the 53 man roster and we were saying, you know, there's going to be some decisions to be made, you know, some real interesting maneuvers they're going to have to do. And we didn't even imagine things such as, oh, we're just going to roll with one quarterback into Sunday and then trust that Gino wants to return. You know, we're going to cut Jerron Brown, a guy who, you know, regardless of his ability or your opinion on him, you know, they do kind of desperately need him uh, to, to kind of have that trust and to know that you can do that and come back. It's amazing. But just like, you know, I think we we criticize John Schneider and sometimes rightfully so. You know, you can you can gripe with the way they use their draft picks and other things like that or the way they keep a fullback every year. Exactly. But to have a guy like that who, you know, he grew up in like the Ron Wolf tree with these guys who are impacting the NFL still. And for him to go into negotiations with a guy like Bill O'Brien, who's seeing it from just a completely different angle as like a, an embattled head coach, it just it's not fair. <laughs> and you saw it in the result of that trade. It's just not fair to have those two going up against one another. And then he plays it so cool on the radio after the fact this evening, talking about, oh, yeah, well, you know, we sent them two really good players. And no, I wasn't taking advantage of the, the Texans at all. You know, tr- just playing it off as if, you know, because he has to keep those relationships solid. He can't be out there gloating about it, but uh, we can gloat for him. Yeah, we will. We will happily. You will not find like a cooler middle aged five foot six ginger with a beard than John Schneider. He's he's a badass. And uh, yeah, we saw it with the championship belt up there on the Super Bowl. And he uh, has just continuously proved he's, he's an absolute badass. Well, one of the other surprising things about the Seahawks depth chart, maybe not surprising in a way, but Tyler Lockett listed as the starter for both the punt returner and the kick returner. And that's not surprising because, you know, he's the best one among the group that they have listed. But you kind of expect him to, you know, take on that number one wide receiver role full time and and maybe give the young guys some time like Rashad Penny and Ugo Amadi in the punting and kick returning. Yeah, it's a little uh, it's a little unnerving knowing that he's going to be back there. Um, I previously criticized Lockett a lot, at least on kick returns, because he just frustratingly takes kicks out, um, which hey, power to him. He's a good returner. But even if it's just having somebody else back there for the kick returns to take a knee in the end zone and putting him back there in big situations or on crucial punt returns like that, I'm fine with. But that's a lot of unnecessary hits that uh, you're putting kind of probably the third most important part of your offense out there. And uh, it's a little worrying. It does. It it worries me. It was like when we had Earl back there. I was excited to have him back there, but then after a couple times, it's like, no, Earl's just a little too. I don't need to see him getting hit. Uh, maybe maybe it'll just be a couple weeks before we see uh, Tyler Lockett pass on on to a, another player. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Pete Carroll has never been shy about putting the best players on special teams. Yeah, it just kind of goes to show his his love of special teams that he's still willing to do that. You know, they had guys like Earl and Cam running down the field on kickoffs and, uh, you know, as, as late as 2015. So, I, yeah, he uh, he wants to compete. That's all you can say. And what's up with CJ Procise being listed as the number three running back? I mean, if this is based on preseason performance. <laughs> based on talent, it should be the number one running back. <laughs> right. I still like Chris yeah. Carson number one in terms of his toughness and, and physicality. I don't, but CJ was probably he did pass the eye test for the preseason. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I'm still just trying to kind of hold in any sort of expectations, and uh, we will be talking about it a little bit later. But <laughs> I hope he's involved in this year. I, I do really. I really hope they find a way to involve. You were him. lobbying hard for him to make the final 53, and it happened. So I feel like you deserve to gloat just a little bit. Yeah, it feels great. It feels great. I'm, uh, yeah, uh, let's get through the season. Because you I'll took go. a lot of heat, I feel like, on Twitter after we did our, our initial 53 man roster uh, about, uh, about liking CJ Procise so much. 
And yeah. uh, so maybe some vindication there. I mean, like even I think it was last offseason, I wrote a piece where I'd gone through and watched every single touch from his NFL career and kind of wrote like, this is why he is just this unbelievable mismatch. And even then people were just like, oh, well, he can't stay healthy. You know, he's not worth talking. It's not what I was talking about. And so that like, you know, I just, just dug in my heels and uh, it's only gotten worse because he's only kind of proved them right and <laughs> right. made me look like a fool. So. <laughs> Well, it would be nice if he stayed a little bit more healthy, and uh, and maybe we'll see that this season. Maybe maybe this is just a really bad string of bad luck, and now's his time. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, he can prove them all wrong and uh, actually give me a reason to gloat rather than prematurely on uh, September third. Well, another big piece of news: Mookie Alexander covering this at FieldGoals.com. The Rams giving Jared Goff a four-year, $134 million contract extension. He gets $110 million guaranteed, an NFL record. What was your reaction when you saw the Jared Goff news? You know, my first reaction with this is kind of the same thing that it's with every single mega deal is that, you know, it is usually kind of the agents or the players side that are giving the insiders the numbers, but like, and so you have the people kind of clinging to that 110 million guaranteed number, but that's just like total guarantees. You know, we never know what the full guarantees are. Mm. You know, you had like Carson Wentz, I think was 107 million guaranteed, but the fully guaranteed was 65 million. So yeah, it's a significant investment for two, three years, but there is an out in case for some reason he craters. And it's the same thing with the golf extension. Um, I mean, I am a pretty big golf fan. Um, I think he he's pretty harshly criticized both because of the situation he's in and he's just kind of, you know, a little aloof and he's an easy person to kind of attack. But uh, I don't think they're going to regret giving the extension. I don't think you ever have a, a regret giving like a long term contract extension to a, a bona fide franchise quarterback. And that's what I think he is so I, i'm okay with it and um it makes it a little bit harder to build around them like they did last year but uh that coaching staff the talent they have on hand like that they're they're okay they're gonna be fine yeah well i just think as a seahawks fan you get a little bit excited when you see so much money going to the running back position so much money going to the wide receivers and the quarterback and then because we've seen that as seahawks fans and when you're trying to pay the entire legion a boom it was the offensive line that didn't get paid. And now that Whitworth's getting close to retirement, they've had to allow a, a guard and a center to go. And they're going to have a much harder time now, I think, protecting Jared Goff going forward. Definitely, yeah. And even if like the extension doesn't allow them to have that one luxury piece, like last year being uh, who, you know, he had a quiet regular season and then was probably the best player in the playoffs. Uh, you know, even taking that away, that's a huge hit. So it's definitely, uh, it helps a little bit. It takes away that with, you know, it is the biggest competitive advantage in sports is having a quarterback on a rookie contract. And, uh, you know, now the clock is ticking. They really need to build around him uh, in a more kind of fiscally responsible way. Yeah, now the Arizona Cardinals, the only team in the division with uh, a quarterback on his rookie contract. Yeah, they got to they beef up that defense in a hurry if they're going to take advantage of that too. Well, Alistair, I want to get into our over and unders for this season. And why don't we start out on offense and with Russell Wilson. The over-under number for Russell Wilson, 4,000 yards, which he passed up twice in 2015-2016, but just 3,400 yards last year with Schottenheimer, 3,448. So are we going to see him go up over the 15 and 16 numbers, maybe with uh, you know some nice pieces like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett at receiver, or are we going to see them keep with a run-heavy offense and uh, that number goes under 4,000? Where are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think definitely firmly under, you know, looking at it now, uh, probably could have, we probably could have gone with a, a little bit lower of a number to set the over <laughs> under. Um, 
but yeah, I think pretty firmly under, even, even if you were to give me 3,500, I kind of think I would say under, um, just the, you know, for him to get to 4,000, it would need to be, you know, DK Metcalf would have to be phenomenal as a rookie and David Moore would have to play how he did over that five game stretch for, you know, the 10 games he is healthy for kind of thing. And yeah, 4,000 is a big ask. I think even 3,500, uh, I'm pretty concerned that he's going to regress from that 3,400 even, um, cause I'm just not sure they'll be playing from behind as much, but, uh, yeah. W- what do you think? Oh, I, well, maybe we should move the line and say that, you know, 3,500, I would go over 3,500. I would go under 4,000 though, because those were the years in 15 and 16 where he didn't have uh, a really healthy field of running backs. You know, he was carrying the ball a lot himself and I do expect him to be under 4,000, but I think, you know, 37, 3,800, I think we could see those numbers shift upward in terms of the, uh, the amount of yards that he throws for, um, 35 touchdowns. So that's going to be something for him. That's going to be a tough number to beat for Russell Wilson. Yeah, I do kind of, you know, he's, he's just such a phenomenally efficient quarterback. And in a lot of ways he, you know, he was unbelievably efficient last year. Saw it thrown to Tyler Lock with the perfect pass rating. And yeah, 35 touchdowns with only, what was it, um, 427 attempts, which is insane. I'm not totally confident that he'll be that efficient again. Uh, I hope you're right with him pushing over 3,500 because um, he's too good of a quarterback to keep it out of his hands that much. Well, the problem is that we've both knocked him out of the MVP race because it seems to MVP voters that you really have to eclipse that 4,000-yard mark to get into the MVP conversation and, you know, maybe even to the 5,000 yard mark as we saw last year. Yeah. And you know, it is amazing. You look at like the players who haven't won MVP and like the biggest name probably in NFL history right now is Drew Brees. And it's just funny, like, you know, the obvious comparison in terms of height is Russell Wilson's kind of guy growing up. And uh, you kind of start to wonder like when, if not already or now, when will it come for Wilson? When will an MVP trophy come for Wilson? And maybe it'll be the same thing with Breeze where he's hitting 40 and, and we're wondering, you know, is, is one of the best quarterbacks this generation going out with a, without an MVP? Why is that not happening? Yeah, well, uh, I guess with Breeze, he had Brady and a few other guys and Manning throughout his career, obviously. So if he's more on the efficiency end, yeah, we, we may see him at the end of his career without an MVP to, to his title as well. Yes, it's uh, it's a pretty crazy thing to think about, actually, especially just the consistency he played with, but never kind of reaching that peak for one reason or another. Chris Carson, 250 carries. He had 247 in 2018. Over or under, where are you going? I think over, to be honest with you. Oh. I, uh, yeah, yeah. And I didn't think that at first when I was kind of really thinking this through. Um, I do think kind of Penny is going to have an uptick in workload. But I think we forgot. This is something that I was thinking about um, when looking over kind of practice squad candidates and thinking, you know, maybe they'll keep Bo Scarborough around to kind of give Carson some rest like they did last year. And I was, thinking, I was like, oh, right. They gave Carson rest because he was kind of banged up. Um, so I'm just kind of projecting him to hopefully be healthy. And if he's healthy, I think he will eclipse 250 because, I mean, you're looking at Marshawn during the Marshawn peak years, which granted they didn't have the depth behind him. You know, Marshawn's crossing the 300 uh, carry mark twice there, uh, you know, another time 280, 285. So I think we will see Carson pass 250, especially, um, you know, with Penny there. I wonder if their intention is kind of wear Carson out for four years and then not give him a second contract. And uh, yeah, I think you'll, we might see an uptick in carries kind of as a combination of those things. That does seem to be the NFL strategy nowadays. And well, they may end up paying Zeke Elliott down in Dallas, but 247 carries last year in 2018, and that was missing two games for Carson. If you go 250, divide that by 16 games, you're looking at about 15 and a half carries. Uh, 
I would I'm gonna take the under because I do think some touches are gonna go Penny's way and also toward ProSize. So I think an average of fifteen carries is what Carson's gonna end up over the season, which puts him just under two fifty. If the reason I'm wrong is because ProSize is more involved, I will be happily, happily wrong. That's fine by me. But we do have Brian Schottenheimer saying that Carson's going to get 50 receptions this year. So see where I think that, and I'm going to take the over on this one because one, Schottenheimer said that he wants Carson to get 50. And two, I think that's where they're going to make up some of this wear and tear on Carson by getting him more toward the outside, throwing him some passes. And so he's not going to lose any touches necessarily. He may even gain touches, but it's going to be through the receptions. That one, um, that one shocks me to be honest with you. I'm, I'm very surprised that you would say that. Um, I think f- very firmly under, I, I just don't have any reason to believe Schottenheimer after last year. You know, he talked about the need to play fast, the need to be able to be versatile, um, you know, how much they wanted to get process and McKissick involved. And then they played 11 personnel, maybe I think the third most, they were 26th in pace. They didn't get ProSize or McKissick involved, you know, granted they both dealt with injuries, but even when healthy, they weren't involved in the offense at all. You know, I do hope I'm wrong because it's it's a way to like get a good mismatch and they're just simply not doing that, which was kind of my big, big thing with Bevel. But I, I just see no reason to believe uh, Schottenheimer right now. You know, I do hope I'm wrong, but I, I can't see it happening. OK, well, while we're on the topic of Brian Schottenheimer, uh, over or under the number of games he wears a visor in at 13. <laughs> Uh, we're soaring the over on that one (laughs) good good that that makes me happy i'll take the over on that one too all right alistair well let's take a quick break and then we'll get back and close out some more of these over and unders on offense before we move over to special teams and the defense for the seahawks as we look at the over and under numbers going into the 2019 season going over we're going under we are looking at all of the numbers for the seahawks on offense on special teams and on defense and moving along on offense rashad penny 600 yards and he did have 419 yards on 85 carries last year and the team hopefully trying to get him a little bit more involved in the offense doesn't have the injury issues to start off the season so over or under 600 yards for rashad penny well, I'll just ask you, were you surprised to see that that's how many uh, rushing yards he had last year? I thought that was a little bit higher than I expected when I first uh, looked it up for this. Well, he also, one number that was a little bit surprising was the fact that he had nearly five yards per carry on average. So it's, you wonder, looking back where he got those yards when he was still the number three running back on the team behind Mike Davis as well. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised, but at the same time, I you you did have to consider the fact that Chris Carson was out for a couple of games as well with injury. Yeah, and I wonder like if you were to take away kind of either the broken plays that Penny somehow turned into a really long gain, or just simply the long gains that he had, how much that kind of yards per carry would drop because it did feel like you know every two carries of Penny's he was getting dropped in the backfield for minimal gain. So yeah, I do kind of agree with the surprise there. I want to say over because I want to see Penny get more involved and I do believe in him, but I just think it'll be a little bit under because I think 
I don't know how sustainable his explosive plays are. You know, he, he is an extremely explosive player. Um, you know, he, he is uh, kind of one of those rare talents. Like we saw Lockett early on in his career where he can change direction without losing any speed, which is awesome. It, it's one of the kind of the best things to see in a football player, but I'm just not sure how much his carries will uptick and, and 600 yards, you know, maybe 500. I would happily say, yeah, uh, 600 should just push him a little bit because again, I do think Carson's going to see an increased workload. I'm going to go over on the 600 yards. I don't know if it'll be much. I don't know if he'll hit 700, but I did take the under on Carson with the 250 carries. So I think Penny, uh, with the increased load, I think he's able to go, uh, up over 600 yards, especially considering uh, the time that he missed last season. Yeah, I think that I think that's pretty fair, and the, and the logic checks out. You know, if I'm taking the over on Carson's carries, then I would expect the under and the yeah, vice versa. So that totally totally makes sense, and uh, I do hope you're right. Well, here we go that uh, with some optimism with CJ Procise, 100 touches for the over or under, and this is a big number because uh, I don't know if you've seen his career touches. It's not great. <laughs> 68 career touches for CJ Procise in the regular season. And you're thinking yeah. that he could eclipse that in just one year, potentially? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he does too. I'll say this. So, uh, oh God, I got to do some quick mental math here. Mike Davis had 146 touches last year. Uh-huh. Uh, if I'm wrong, that's going to be embarrassing, but I think that checks out. Um, and I would imagine a lot of those receptions are going to go to Carson, who might see 25, 30, and then Rashad Penny only had nine last year, probably up towards 30 or so. How much is going to be left for Procise? It's almost the same thing with Carson's you know, 50 catch target. I just don't really have a reason to believe Schottenheimer either knows how to include him in the past game or has a desire to do so. Um, I'm going to say under, but I will say he's going to at least double his career touches. 146 touches for Mike Davis last year. So, yeah, when you and when you consider touches, that's not just the handoffs. That's also getting him involved in the receiving game as well. And Mike Davis was that third down back for the Seahawks last year. Will CJ Procise get to 100? I'm going to say no. And I'm not going to say that CJ Procise is going to get injured because that would be bad karma. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. I would just say uh, a quick kind of follow-up question. Who do you think has more touches, uh, Travis Homer or CJ Procise? I think I think it's going to be Procise. Yeah, I, think, I think I agree. Um, yeah. Again, I'm not going to root for anybody to be injured. Yeah, thank you. It seems like you're almost in the minority in terms of Seahawks fans who just seem to want to be proven correct with CJ Procise. So uh, the more kind of positive energy we can send his way, the better. Tyler Lockett. We could send some positive energy his way by predicting over or under 80 catches for the season. And 80 is a big number because Lockett had 57 last season. Doug Baldwin, he had more than 80 once. Uh, He had 78 another season. So 80 catches by a Seahawks receiver is it's feeling optimistic. But when the number two player potentially is DK Metcalf, when your number three is Jerron Brown, it does kind of feel like Lockett could be featured more in the passing game than maybe we've seen from any receiver in Seahawks uh, in the recent Seahawks memory. Yeah, and just kind of looking at it right now, uh, all the receivers who had above ten targets last year, um, the or sorry, those receivers who are now gone, which would be Doug Baldwin, Mike Davis, Brandon Marshall, who had more targets than Jerome Brown, which is wow. shocking. Yep, yeah, and thirteen from Ed Dixon. That's one hundred and fifty-one vacated targets. 
So I'm I'm pretty comfortable saying uh, Lockett will definitely surpass 80 catches. And to be honest with you, I think he's going to get up around 100. Wow. Okay. I I don't think he'll hit 100. I think he'll break 80. Uh, so we're both taking the over on this one because I do feel like he's going to be a featured part. And I think this is a Pro Bowl season we're looking at for Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, initially, I think I did have 100 catches as the over-under for this. And then I got to looking at Doug Baldwin and yeah. he, you know, his career high is 94. So that kind of made me hesitate a little bit. Yeah, but, 100, 100 catches for a receiver. Has, has Russell Wilson even hit 100 to a particular receiver just in his time in Seattle? I don't uh, think so. I think... Yeah, I think 94 to Baldwin has to be the, high. the highest. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine Sidney Rice in 2012 was probably in the 50s. So, yeah, I think 94 is probably the high. But uh, I also just don't think they've ever had such an unproven, unproven receiving group. So, you know, it is a little bit of an indictment on the guys around him. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Lockett does. Well, DK Metcalf, it will be interesting to see if he holds on to that starting spot opposite of Tyler Lockett. And 50 catches, 600 yards, 5 TDs is what I see here listed for the over-under. So if he's going over, he has to hit over on all three of those. Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, we can, we'll, we'll go each one individually. Okay. I'm going to Which say I, under on 50 catches. Yeah, I agree. And 600 yards, I'm going to... Ooh, that's a good number. Um I'm going to take the over. I think it'll be slightly over. I wouldn't go over 650. It'll be right in that sweet spot of between 600 and 650 for me. Yeah, again, totally agree. Okay. Five TDs. I am going to... I'll take the over on this because six TDs, that, that, I could see him getting that. Jerron Brown had five TDs last year. Yeah, exactly. I'm all the way there with you. Um, yeah, I think you know he might average kind of 17 yards of reception, but uh, I think he'll he'll have a couple of huge huge plays, kind of like David Moore in that in that little stretch. It does feel like he's going to be that big play downfield target type of guy, and that's why I do think what Metcalf ends up as for his yards per reception, you know, 16 would be an interesting number if he goes over 16 yards per reception um, as, as part of his first season in the league. Yeah, I think, and I think that's honestly probably about where we could expect him to land. You know, I, th- I think David Moore last year did surpass 16 off the top of my head, maybe 16 and a half or so. Um, and yeah, I think there'll be similar roles and Metcalf's just a little bit more explosive in terms of kind of being a downfield threat. So yeah, it'll, it'll be, uh, you know, even if he isn't totally far along in his development, I think they can still kind of depend on him for a few splash plays, which is why I think we can comfortably say over for the yards and the touchdowns, but catches, yeah, I'm not too sure. Because if he goes 650 yards uh, in a season and breaks that 16 yards per reception mark, you're looking at about 40, 41 catches. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I'd be, I would be super happy with that. If oh, that'd be a great rookie season for a wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, especially one who's coming from the air raid, like not totally far along in his development. That means he stayed healthy and he was able to at least contribute, you know, in uh, as kind of a vertical threat. Yeah, totally happy with that. I was listening to Clinton Bonner's three in, three out as part of the field goals podcast. And he was talking about how high he is on John Ursua. And Clinton was thinking that Ursua gets 40 catches in this offense. Where are you at? Are you over or under at 40? Uh, I'm I'm pretty significantly under. I mean... Yeah, granted, I'm a little bit lower on on him than than some other people. Um, but yeah, I, I think significantly, significantly lower. Like maybe I might even say under 20 catches. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I think he's fine. He doesn't really excite me the way that he seems to get other people going. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, I think I'd even say under 20 catches. 
Really? I would take the over on 20. I would put his number right around 32 because that would be two catches per game. Yeah, and you know, that's that's probably pretty fair. I just, uh, and people are going to hate that because they're very, very excited by Ursua, but it's just, it's a lot of projecting that, you know, a UDFA slot receiver is going to retire and they're going to draft one in the seventh round and he's going to step right in. I just, uh, I'm not willing to say that yet. Let's move on now, Alistair, to the tight end group, Will Disley. And let's hope for a healthy season from Will Disley. And we have another three in a row here where we go over and under, starting with 32 catches. And shoot, I just brought this number up with John Ursua and uh, two catches a game. That seems like something Will Disley could do if if we have another healthy uh, season out of Will. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I have a lot of reservations, which I'll I'll probably bring up in a second here, but pretty comfortably over 32, I think. Because the 624 yards, and we're using these numbers based on the pace that he was on 20 in 2018 before he was injured, 624 yards, that seems high to me. But he was on pace for it. That was an incredible pace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I wonder if you take away kind of that long touchdown against Denver, what that drops down to. But I think, uh, yeah, definitely under on that one. Okay, so we're, we're tracking here. And then eight touchdowns, a, a red zone type threat for Will Disley. I... Hmm. That again, that number seems high to me. I think it's going to be around five or six. Yeah, I think even five or six would be would be pretty exciting. Um, to be honest with you, I, I he did great coming back from his injury so quickly to even be able to play in preseason. But I'm just not sure that we'll ever see the guy who, you know, you, you saw a lot of people kind of saying he's kind of like a sneaky, explosive player last year. I I need to see that before I'm comfortable kind of projecting him as any sort of anything more than kind of a safety blanket underneath. I'm really worried, honestly, about how he's going to come back from this injury because even I, and I think I mentioned it last, uh, last time I was on here, like Jimmy Graham, when he came back, yeah, they managed to maximize him for double digit touchdowns, but he looked like he was running in concrete blocks. Like he, he was kind of from an athletic standpoint, he was cooked. So I, I do really worry about Will Disley as far as kind of movement goes, but uh, 32 catches I think is, is perfectly fine for him. Cause yeah, he can be, he can be that receiver underneath uh, even if he's moving moving real slow i mean if you're talking about 30 plus catches 500 yards five or six tds uh, from that tight end that first tight end spot that'll that'll be a productive season for will disley especially coming back from the injury in 2018 definitely i mean i if we hadn't seen kind of what we saw in the first four games last year and he was just like this blocking tight end who used to play defensive end that they drafted from washington you told me that that was a stat line he was going to achieve like in any season in his career i would be like okay, wow, then they actually kind of hit on that draft pick because I think he's surprised and that we're even talking about him as a viable option I think reflects really well on how well kind of the Seahawks front office was able to scout traits and able to scout kind of an athlete moving in space because he never had numbers, you know. He wasn't really on the radar as somebody that could be a viable option in the passing game. So I think even if the injury does rob him of something like that, that uh, it reflects really well on how well they kind of scouted him because, yeah, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. And it's it's pretty impressive. Another guy they hit on in the draft that year, Michael Dixon in the fifth round. And he had 28 punts inside of the 20 last season. Does he beat that this year or does he fall under that number? Oh, yes. Yeah, soaring over it then. Yeah, I think we're going to see him step up another level for sure. Where's your where's your number that he finishes at for 2018? You go. Are you going into the 30s then? I'm thinking the first number that came to my mind uh, would be 43. Oh, OK. 
Oh yeah. No, I'm like, we got a, you are hammering me over. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe it's a reflection on the Seahawks offense, but uh, <laughs> we're going to have a prolific punter no matter what anything else happens. I'll go 35. I'm also taking the over, but uh, another good year from Dixon. I have no basis for any of this. I, I don't know anything about punting stats, but uh, I know that he's a badass. That's all I know. Right. Yeah. 43 might be the, the best year ever by a punter. I and mean, we don't know. Yeah, we end. We, uh, frankly, I don't really want to find out. So it's all right. <laughs> well, I, you'll, people will comment on Twitter. You'll you'll get the reaction and, and then we'll and then we'll be educated on it. Yeah. If somebody if I can kind of like wake up tomorrow to somebody in the mentions, let me know, then I'll be all right with that. And you idiot. Forty three punts is way too many. Like Ray Guy never got to forty three. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray Guy wasn't from Australia. So. <laughs> <laughs> Moving down the defensive line, Jadavian Clowney was the big acquisition right before week one of the season and the game against the Bengals. And uh, we've got a pretty high number here for the over and under, but it has to deal with uh, the number from Frank Clark last season, and that's the number 13. So does Jadavian Clowney, does he get over or under 13 sacks for the Seahawks this year? I was waiting for us to get to this one because I feel like I kept going negative, kept going negative. I think he's going to soar over 13. I'm thinking like 16, 17 sacks. He's he's unbelievable. He's in a much comfortable role. You know, he was saying uh, today, uh, you know, he's he's only going to be rushing. He's only going to be moving forward. He doesn't need to worry about dropping into coverage. Um, I think on raw ability, he's better than Frank Clark. And I think we're looking at 16, 17 sacks, hit free agency. Seattle won't resign him. He'll become the highest paid defense player elsewhere. Uh, so when negative in there, but he'll be great while he's here. I like where your head's at because that's extremely on the positive side, especially when the fact that Clowney has only had nine and a half at his career high. And it was a little bit surprising to me to see that nine and a half number as his career high, you know, just based on kind of the hype that surrounded him over the season. But you did mention that in the Texan system, he was dropping back a lot. So he wasn't that strict pass rushing defensive end that I think he will be for Seattle. I'm going to take the under on 13, but I do think that between him and Anza, I do think that they find a way to to eclipse the who uh, you know the number that Frank Clark and uh, whoever was playing opposite of Frank Clark. So I think the overall number is going to be better from those end spots. Yeah, I'd be all right with that. And that uh, you know part of the reason I think Anza is going to hit or sorry, Klein is going to hit the over is because he'll maybe kind of get some rest on run stopping downs, even though he's a phenomenal run stopper because Ansa will miss so many games that they'll kind of need to lean on Clowney more as a pass rusher. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think uh, yours probably has kind of a better result for the team as a total. So I hope you're right on that one. Well, you have a better result for Clowney getting paid uh, following the season, but uh, it'll be curious <laughs> to see where, if he does fall short of that 16, 17 number, if the Seahawks are able to find a way to keep him around or not. Oh yeah, I'm just like I. If they do sign him to an extension, I'm going to be fascinated to know, and we will never really know. And maybe it's as simple as simple as kind of pushing it down the road one year and the assets they got back. But why they traded Frank Clark only to pay Clowney? I feel like there's something more, and I would love to know what it is. That would be interesting to know. Yeah. But they do have some young defensive end talent coming up as well, so they may not want to pay a guy like Clowney, a guy like Zigianza in the long term, because they may have. Uh, big thoughts behind LJ Collier and Rasheem Green over or under five sacks for these two gentlemen. Yeah, I'd go uh, under for Collier over for Rasheem Green. Ooh, I, I'm going to go under on both of them. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's fair. We definitely just saw, you know, Collier is going to get back kind of quicker than Green did, but we just saw what like an injury can do to a rookie season when Green kind of pretty much had his progress completely stopped when he, he got hurt. But, uh, you know, I was a huge Green fan coming out. Um, and it seems to me, which was something actually I noted in that dev chart piece, was that Green's now the backup Leo. And it seems to me they've almost not necessarily given up on making him kind of uh, an outside in pass rusher. But if he's just going to play on the outside this year, I think he can win um, pretty consistently on the outside, honestly. I think it'll be good for his development. So I think we could see him up like six and a half sacks, which would be awesome to see. I would be extremely happy as somebody who who is huge on him coming out. If I did have to pick one of these guys to take the over on, it would be on Rasheem Green because, like you mentioned, being the backup Leo, also with uh, Jaron Reed being out the first six games and maybe having him uh, as a guy who can move inside, whether it's Clowney or, you know, your package of rushers uh, and how that's going to look with Jaron Reed out, you know, is it Clowney, Anza, Rasheem Green, uh, and who else is your fourth on those pass rushing downs? Uh, that'll be curious to see, but I do think Green will be a part of that group. Yeah, it will be fascinating to see how they play it. Um, I guess just kind of curious, well, who do you think has more stacks, Green and Collier combined or Jaron Reed? I would I would lean Green and Collier combined because especially with uh, Reed missing his first six games. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think it'll be by much, though. I think maybe Green and Collier have like nine sacks in them, and I think Reed 10 games, like maybe four and a half, five. I, I would be really happy if he gets four and a half, five coming out after those six games. Yeah, especially like depending, you know, that's going to be the huge one where it's going to be much more fascinating to see his total impact because, you know, he did kind of come out of nowhere to be a serious pass rushing threat last year, which, you, you know, he was never that at Bama. He wasn't that early on. So if you can replicate it, that's when you're going to see, I think, regardless of what happened this offseason with him being suspended, I think Seattle will pay him a, a healthy amount to be replicated to that performance. All right, Alistair, well, let's take one more quick break and we will come back, close out the defense and our thoughts with the over and unders for the 2019 season. Here we go into the final five picks, Alistair, starting with KJ Wright and 12 starts. And this number is significant because last year, was the first year that he's ever had less than 13. And uh, are we going to see an improved bounce back year from KJ Wright? Or are we starting to see kind of the beginning of the end of the KJ Wright career in Seattle? Yeah, I hate to say it. It really kind of upsets me to say it, but I think uh, he's probably going to go under on the 12 starts. Um, Something that kind of flew under the radar earlier this offseason, which concerned me quite a bit, was Pete Carroll. I think it was after they re-signed him, essentially admitted that, you know, his knee issues are something that they're going to need to monitor kind of moving forward, even into this season. So it's not something that he's kind of over. It wasn't just a flash in the pan. I think we've seen him kind of begin to begin to take a step back uh, in terms of his health. Um, and so I, I don't think that he'll ever kind of replicate those performances. And, you know, they're in a position where if Wright can go one week, you know, they might not try to have him go. It's not that they're comparable, but like when Wagner had that hamstring injury against the Rams and they just got killed by the Rams at home two Decembers ago, you know, maybe they won't be in a position where they're going to force Wright to play if he's not at a hundred percent because they have so much depth around him. You know, it's almost going to be a luxury where they can, they can roll him out in those big games when they really need him. Well, I do think that this speaks to the impact that Cody Barton could have uh, in his rookie season with the team and while I think K.J. Wright goes on the over 
of the 12 starts, I do think we start to see his playing time rolled back significantly. And whereas in past years, you saw KJ Wright, you saw Bobby Wagner out there for 100% of the snaps. I think now that they have some young depth at linebacker, and this is the year where you start to see, you know, Bobby is probably still going to be out there for 100% of the snaps as long as he's healthy. But I think KJ Wright starts to lose some of that time to Cody Barton on the roster. That's probably a much more positive way to look at it. And, you know, I, I think Kendricks can play the weak side too. So for how much do you play only with two linebackers? It could be a case of when they do go into kind of their sub package. Maybe it is right that comes out more often than Kendricks, uh, which would be, yeah, kind of a, a happier way to look at it than, uh, you know, an all-time underdog Seahawk kind of starting to break down. Yeah, I, I just think that, that that Pete Carroll understands where KJ's at in his career and, and understands that it's time to to maybe start dialing him back a little bit. Although KJ is not going to want to do it. So that's, that's going to make it tough, especially if he's out there playing at the KJ, right. That we've known in the past it, that, that could be tough moving on to the secondary Tedrick Thompson, a player who he has the starting spot, but Marquise Blair, the second round pick, the Seahawks are high on him coming back from injury. As long as he can manage his back issues and come back healthy from that, where do you think I, I see 10 starts as the over under for Thompson? I have to think that with that 10 number in mind, Alistair, you're thinking at which point of the season is Thompson losing his job to Marquise Blair? Pretty much exactly. Yeah, he had 10 last year. And, uh, you know, this was something that I kind of thought before Blair, before Blair's back injury took him out of the Oakland game, which kind of makes it you think, you know, he wasn't totally 100 percent it might be a little bit harder for him to break into the lineup if he's not healthy out of the gate. But Thompson too has, he's had a lot of little injuries here and there throughout, you know, I guess this is only his third year, but the previous two seasons he's had these little injuries. So I think that we're probably, I would say under for Thompson. Maybe that's a little bit projecting. Cause I would like to see him kind of McDougal and Blair going out there, but uh, yeah, I, I would say under on those starts for Tedrick Thompson. I do. I think if, if I had to pick a week, for Marquise Blair to take over, I'm kind of thinking week eight, week nine. So that would that would put me at the under for Tedrick Thompson too. Yeah, and the thing is, is like I'm more comfortable with McDougal at free safety than Thompson anyway. You know, even if it does require a little bit of shifting, I'm I'm okay with that. Thompson just uh, Pete Carroll loves him, but uh, it just does not inspire me at all. <laughs> all right, well, we've got through the offense, we've got through the defense. I do have a, a defensive number as a whole, though. I want to pick your brain on Alistair. Points per game allowed. In 2018, the Seahawks defense allowed 26.8 points per game, and that was actually the highest number of points allowed by a Seahawks defense under Pete Carroll. So do you think they are, are we on the uh, downward trend? Are they going to go over and continue that downward trend, or are they going to bounce back toward the Pete Carroll defenses that we're used to in previous seasons? Yeah, I think I think we can we can safely say under. I'm very very comfortable saying the under. Uh, if nothing else, just I think the secondary is going to be considerably better this year. A secondary without Earl. Well, I guess we had Earl for only for four games last yeah. year. But. <laughs> it does feel like you should see some improvement you know, with Shaquille Griffin having, you know, maybe a, a more of a bounce back year. Trey Flowers, I don't know if we're going to, even if he stays the same uh, going into this year in year two, I do feel like the another couple of years together with Tedrick Thompson, with Bradley McDougal or who, whoever the two on the back end end up being, I do think we are going to see an improved secondary. So, yes, I, I'm taking the under here as well. 
Yeah. And I mean, that kind of leads me into that other one where I do think, you know, even if, like you said, flowers kind of stays the same at the very least, I think we'll see a cut down on kind of just the little lapses that come with the experience. You know, we saw him a little bit late to turn to the ball, a little bit late to try to make a play on the ball. Um, you know, I'm thinking about that Chargers game in particular, where he kind of got mossed in the left end zone there. I think I'm remembering it correctly. You know, those little things won't won't happen as often. And then, to be honest with you, I think Shaquille Griffin's going to have a Pro Bowl season. Um, and I think he's going to make a lot of people look pretty stupid with how down they were on him. <laughs> well, that takes us right into this next one with Pro Bowlers in the secondary. You give it away because the over-under number is 0.5. And I, I do think that Shaquille Griffin's going to be improved, but I'm going to be the pessimist here and say zero pro bowlers in the secondary once again, but it is going to be an improved season. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is honestly just kind of a, uh, uh, a way for me to be able to kind of just stand for Shaquille Griffin because I think he's going to be <laughs> so improved this year. People have to are like, oh, God, it's like everybody forgot how hyped they were on him after his rookie season. And then you have this guy who, you know, he's learning the kick step technique. It's so difficult. It's unlike anything that any cornerback has to play pretty much across the nation unless they're in Pete's defense, um, you know, whether it's under Dan Quinn or, or Robert Sala or Pete himself. And then he has to switch sides after Sherman leaves. Like, of course, he's going to struggle. You know, he was handling an injury. He's going to be so improved this year. Uh, he's an athletic freak. You know, they took him in the third round for a reason. You know, he he has these traits uh, and he's further along than the guys that we saw excel here, even if it's just Byron Maxwell. Um, yeah, I think he's going to establish himself as, you know, not only the team's number one cornerback, but without a doubt, the best player in the secondary for Seattle this year. You're bringing up on-field things, and I think an impact was on him from all the off-field stuff that he had with his brother coming into the league and the two of those guys, you know, being twins on the same team in the NFL and all the media attention that came with his brother making the team only having one hand. And that was that was a significant amount of a media attention that, that got drawn to them both. And I think that's going to be lifted for both of them this year. And I think that does end up having an impact and allowing Griffin to bounce back and, and have that a better year on the outside as well. That's a great point. And I mean, you also had on top of that, you had, which was something Shaquem said kind of, uh, I think even ahead of last season where Trey Flowers was coming into the room during training camp and trying to practice the kick step with Shaquille. So you have a guy who's, you know, a sophomore and I'm pretty sure Trey Flowers is even older than him. So you have like a young man kind of needing to step into this role in his second season in the NFL where he's still learning of, oh crap, now all of a sudden I'm one of the leaders back here. You know, I need to teach the young guy. There's I can only imagine how fast his brain was going almost to the plays, you know, no wonder he's slow to get his head around to find the football in place when he's thinking about, you know, half a dozen different things right before the snap and up, up until the time the ball arrives. So no, that's a great point. And uh, it just makes me more confident that uh, we're looking at a pro bowl cornerback again in Seattle. We need some of these. We need to get back to the pro bowl forum on the back end of the defense. And I do think Griffin will have a bounce back season. I'm really curious though, if either of these corners, whether it's flowers or Griffin, whether or not the interception numbers can come up because we saw with Bradley McDougal having what three interceptions by the end of last season tied with Earl Thomas, you know, which one of these guys is going to be the ball Hawk of the secondary. Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, I think flowers kind of has a better, better ability in terms of making plays on the ball, but uh, just from an all around standpoint, I think Griffin's a little bit better and you've just seen, you know, interceptions aren't the be all end all, um, in terms of kind of accolades. So I think that's what makes me kind of comfortable. Even if Griffin's only a three interception cornerback, I think, you know, there's still a fair, fair shot at him making a Pro Bowl, especially with just like the amount of guys that drop out, which maybe I'll win on a technicality, which I will 
uh, to happily take. So that's fine. <laughs> a, a win on a technicality is still a win. There you go. <laughs> to see week three in 2012 against Green Bay. Well, let's close this out, Alistair, by talking about wins. Wins at the bye week for the Seahawks. I put the over or under at seven and a half. And this is a team that went five and five through 10 games in 2018, but closed out the season strong, got into the playoffs at 10 and six. And they have five home games, five road games with a week 11 bye week. So going into that bye, where do you put the Seahawks in terms of number of wins? I hate to say it, but significantly under seven and a half wins. Oh, significantly. Yeah, I think four. I think four wins is where they're going to be at. Four and six. Oh, um, yeah. And to be honest, I thought it was going to be higher than that looking through. But like, I can safely say they'll beat the Bengals. Other than that, I can only really safely say that they'll beat the Bucks. You know, I'm not comfortable with them going into Arizona and winning. I'm not comfortable with them hosting the Rams and winning, hosting the Ravens and winning, going to Atlanta to win, going to San Fran and winning. Um, you know, they will collect a handful of wins all elsewhere, but. I think four wins is, I would be honestly happy with four and six going into the bye. That's the thing. I, I kind of feel like I wouldn't have brought this up now because this now we're ending this on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back to pro space. Four okay. wins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I I thought, you know, I was setting this tough, you know, because this is coming after the Jadavian Clowney news. I, you know, I was thinking I'll, I'll, because I went back and forth between eight and a half and seven and a half a, a number of times thinking, well, you know, I, I can at least see two losses on the schedule, but three, I kind of have to think about, and I kind of think they'll lose three just because they start off the season and slow. So I have them in it at uh, seven and three going into the bye week. Well, that would be, that would be phenomenal. But, uh, <laughs> Ah, that's just like so. I guess the question would be if they if you have them seven and three, who who are you most comfortable saying that they'll drop games to? Uh, Pittsburgh, because that's Pittsburgh home opener. I would say they'll probably lose one home game, and uh, whether it's the Rams or the Ravens, or maybe even I I like them to win against the Saints just because the Saints start off, they generally start off slow, and I think they're going to be coming off of that emotional game against the Rams the week before. So I like them to win that game. And then maybe the Atlanta game is a place where they'll lose on the road. So those are my three losses. All right, all right. I, I, yeah. I, uh, but you have them four, so <laughs> I'll, I'll give them five and five. I'll give them five. five. Okay, same as last year. Yeah, but uh, yeah, didn't think it was gonna be that negative. I'm, my I'm bad. glad I talked you up on the Saints win. Yeah, I feel good about myself. I feel like we're now we're ending on a high. Thanks, Alistair. Yeah, there you go. There, yeah, they'll they'll be the Saints. I'm forty uh, percent confident that now. <laughs> All right, Alistair. Well, really want to thank you for coming on. And uh, what do you got working on for field goals coming up? Yeah, I'll have a kind of pregame calling coming up on Friday, just previewing the Bengals. Um, they're finally an interesting team to talk about now that Martin Lewis is gone. Um, working on a story on Ben Burkirvan, which will be up hopefully next week, which I think people are going to really like. And then a couple uh, pieces I can't totally talk about right now, but... Um, pretty unique to field goals. So I'm pretty excited that, uh, that they'll, they'll be there. And for folks following the podcast as well, I'm going to be having a Bengals preview with Anthony Casenza of the orange and black insider podcast. So look for that probably on Thursday this week and, uh, check that all out right here at fieldgoals.com. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.